We'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for November 23rd, 2008. And uh, we're going to be continuing this study regarding um, is Obama the Antichrist? And uh, we're looking right now at this Merovingian bloodline thing to kind of give you a little more background on that. Continuing with the article that we were talking about, uh, and it says, Incredibly, we posted a news article in the Daily News Updates which spoke to the very essence of which we have been warning the powerful occult supernatural forces that are driving the success and popularity of the Da Vinci Code. And this is from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, it's called Cashing In on the Code. This is the name of the story. The novel's coattails grow even wider as authors, lecturers, and even mediums, as witches, try to cut in on the action. Remember, the love of money is the root of all evil, so... For Hollywood, they have a dual, dual motivation. Harry Carter of Fenton, Michigan, is among those compelled to speak up with the movie's release. She is a self-described spirit medium. Which, okay, never hear that word medium. And she said a special source told her, a special demon, the time is right to spread the good news. Now, you have to understand here, what is this telling you? This is like getting an inside view of, of what Satan is recommending. And she's saying a spirit told her that the time is right to spread the good news about the Da Vinci Code? And this is a witch talking? Well, that, you know, <laughs> that's pretty telling. And then, it's, and then the spirit said the Da Vinci Code will change our future. Then she said, the angels told me the Da Vinci Code will rock this world. The angels. Hmm. I wonder what kind of angels those were. Probably they were just demons masquerading as angels. Good angels. Or, or at uh, worst case scenario, fallen angels. But you know they're not angels of the true Lord Jesus Christ because they would never ever do anything but condemn this filth. So, uh, and again, a lot of people are obsessed with angels now. And I've done a whole study on angels. Just keying the word angels in the, in the keyword box. And um, this thing about this big move that we see of women angels with wings and also with halos. Totally, totally, totally unbiblical. There's only one time in the Bible where a woman angelic figure is ever mentioned with wings and it is described as wickedness. And I can prove it to you. Just go access that little study. It's not very long. But uh, it's, it's associated with Babylon and wickedness and just... It's terrible. So, and again, this obsession, the angels. Now, if you, if you thought too, I mean, most of the time, anything that's biblical is pretty much offensive to most people. Yet, there's a lot of people that, like even my mom, who's involved in New Age, that things like woman or female angels, they don't offend her at all. Oh no, she wants to collect them, in fact. Um, and you're thinking to yourself, well, when did you find religion all of a sudden? You don't want anything to do with the Bible or with the Word of God, yet you're obsessed with these angels. That tells you something right there. What are, what are the spirits that are attracting these people to these female angels, particularly if they have wings and halos, which is nothing more than, than a representation of the Egyptian sun disk when you see a halo over their head? It's paganism. Okay, so, uh, and it's not good if you see it over a little baby Jesus or over a man either. Okay, when, he, when it comes to an Egyptian sun disc or what they term as a halo. So again, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit trail, but, uh, so this, these, these spirits told her, these angels told her that the, uh, the time is right to spread the good news, the Da Vinci Code will change our future. Now, if, understand this, this movie is that important 
to Satan's minions that he's actually channeling to people and and um, through through these witch mediums that this movie is evidently a very very important thing. This is the paradigm shift that the Antichrist is trying to enact so that we can usher ourselves into the new world order. Okay, it's, it's and this is very important to them. They said these angels said it will make people look inside themselves and to start questioning things. In other words, what they want to do is look inside yourself into your own wicked heart and start questioning the Bible, which is the Word of God. Now, most people don't even have a full comprehension of what the Word of God says anyway, but uh, obviously the Da Vinci Code is not compatible with the Bible. Even somebody that doesn't know a lot about the Bible could figure that one out. So then... um, She's added that she's also channeled Mary Magdalene. So Mary Magdalene is actually channeling through her, telling her, yes, this is... Now think about it. Mary Magdalene is the the one in the Merovingian uh, bloodline lie that they said Jesus actually married and had a child with. So who better to channel than Mary Magdalene to promote the Da Vinci Code, if you think about it? These spirits come as lying and deceiving spirits, and they can come is whoever they want to come as, and act as whoever they want to act as. They're lying, deceiving spirits. This is not the spirit of Mary Magdalene. Her spirit's in heaven. Okay, Mary Magdalene's spirit is in heaven. You can't channel it or call her spirit down anytime you think you want. And you can't call spirits up from hell either. People that The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. If you're a Christian, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, so um, uh, this isn't something that you have the option of doing, channeling spirits, either from heaven or hell. Now, you can channel familiar spirits, you can channel demons and devils and sometimes fallen angels, depends on what level of of occult power you're at. I mean, the more powerful the uh, demonic or fallen angelic deity you're trying to summon, you, you have to have more power or do more things in order to summon that spirit, okay, and that's from an occult standpoint. But um, this Mary Magdalene that's that's coming here is all it is is a lying, deceiving spirit posing as Mary Magdalene. It's a familiar spirit. Why? It may at one time have been familiar with Mary Magdalene or her actions at one time. Remember, these spirits don't just die. Okay, they continue on. And if if a spirit is is influencing or possessing or oppressing someone then that spirit continues to live on after the person dies. And it seeks another body to inhabit it. The Bible is very clear on that. It even talks about that in the Gospels, where the this, this spirit goeth out of body, and, and it goes into dry places, and then it seeks a body to inhabit. So, again, um, then it goes on to say, She said, The angels told me this is only the start of a great awakening. There will be more books and more movies, more brainwashing, more lies, is what they're saying. And again, that's all we're seeing. Attacking of Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to have, not only that, then you have like Oprah in in her new age mumbo-jumbo. Conversations with God. Uh, You could go on and on. You have how how the uh, modern-day pseudo-church with Rick Warren and Robert Shuler and all these people are basically getting on board with all these mystical emerging church teachings and, and teaching um, mysticism and adopting a lot of, of, of Catholic principles um, that they're bringing into the churches. And it's an abomination to God, is what it is. But yes, there is going to be more books, more movies, 
And what they're trying to do is get the, the um, really what we had talked about further, where the transgressors are come to a full. They're trying to make wickedness so prevalent that the Antichrist will have such an easy time as far as making his appearance. I mean, I think it has to be a certain level of wickedness attained before he can actually come on the scene. And that's what they're trying to do, get us up to that point as quickly as possible. So rarely has one, any one paragraph contained so many points. So let us take a moment and examine them all. This is by this witch. And then one where she said the time is right. Cutting Edge has been warning for over a year that the popularity of the Da Vinci Code book reveals that the world is closer than many think to the actual appearance of the Antichrist. The spirit medium and Chandler is now saying that her angels, her guiding spirits, are saying the timing is right. Now again, uh, we I, I put out a report last week on um, that Lord Maitreya guy, and he's got his own website up on Share International, and we've done, I don't know how many teachings on him, but he is basically saying, and he has said for a long time, that he will make his appearance. Now, he's claiming to be the fifth Buddha. He's claiming to be Jesus Christ in, uh, reincarnated. He's claiming to be um, Imam Mahdi. Uh, he's claiming to be kind of all these little messiahs all rolled up into one package. And and he's been claiming this a long time. And he, is, he has said for a long time that he is going to make his appearance on the heels of a worldwide economic collapse which is kind of what we're starting to see right now. And he said this a long time. He's, and the reason for that is, is order out of chaos. Okay, Ordo ab cao, which is the motto of the 33rd degree Mason. In Latin, ordo ab cao means order out of chaos. They're going to bring order out of this chaos, this planned economic disaster meltdown, which I believe we're in the midst of right now. going to get worse and worse and worse, most likely, to the point where people are going to be so desperate and then at that point, he is going to make his public appearance. Now, he said in his newsletter, and I'm just using this as an example, but he said in his own newsletter, and I'm talking I'm, I'm from his own website up on the Internet that was at one time, the United Nations openly sponsored this, has openly advocated Lord Maitreya for a long time. The United Nations have proven all this in other teachings. Uh, he's openly stated that before his appearance, there is going to be a very, very, very bright star in the sky. And then they go on to saying this thing that that star is actually going to appear as a star, but it's actually going to be a gigantic UFO. Now, I've said the UFOs are tied in with this thing. It's part of the deception. Okay? Now, the other night, I was outside, and it was at night, and just so happened I saw that comet that fell. I don't know if anybody else saw that, and I could not believe that thing. Now, if you're not knowing what I'm in reference to, there was a comet that fell... Well, I'm in Florida. It, was, it looked like it was due north. I believe it fell in Canada. And this thing looked like a comet on steroids. Okay, it was huge. It lit up the sky. It looked almost, I mean, it had, I, when I saw it, it had actually a green like vapor trail. And it was so bright. It was, it was so much brighter than any supposed what they call falling stars or falling meteorites. It was so much brighter than any other meteorite I'd ever seen, I couldn't believe it. And then, sure enough, the next night it was on the news. And they said, if you've seen this, you know, yeah. probably... And they said it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing to see something like that. I just happened to be outside, um, I don't know, it's park or whatever. And I don't know to look up in the sky, but I did see this thing. I could not believe it. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of these types of... I mean, if you think that's amazing, well, wait do you see what, you know... Now remember, the Lord's permitting it, but Satan has in store 
And what Lord Maitreya is saying is on the heels of this economic worldwide collapse, there's going to be this very, very, very bright star looking thing in the sky, and that is then he's going to actually make his public appearance. He's going to appear on American TV networks. This is what they're saying. He's been saying this a long, long time. And um, if he is not the Antichrist, he's going to pay, play a major part in pointing people to the Antichrist. Okay. So again, I, I tend not to be dogmatic about, it's got to be this guy. Because it's just like setting dates. No, I just don't do that. You know, let's give ourselves a little bit of leeway. Yes, he's evil. Yes, he's going to help usher in the new world order and the one world government and the one world political system. Yes, he's going to be a main player in the deception that's going on. But can I be absolutely 100% dogmatic as to exactly what role he's going to play? I'm not even going to go there. Okay? And again, we're doing this teaching to give you the background information to arm yourself. But not so much for me to say, yes, it's Prince Charles. I'll stake my life on it. The Bible says we're not supposed to swear, you know, don't swear swear by things. And again, if you if you get into that vein, you're, you're starting to swear on things that you're really not sure about. And I'm not going to do that. Uh, it doesn't mean I think I'm Mr. Perfect or anything. I'm just saying, I, I just think we need to be really, uh, with deception being what it is, we just need to be really careful about date setting and labeling somebody as the Antichrist or the false prophet 100%. And, Anyway, if we go further, so this, this medium was saying the time is right, um, and then the, the, these, these devils were saying the Da Vinci Code would change our future. Indeed, for everyone who believes this spiritual lie about Jesus Christ, they may suffer eternal loss, um, as the scripture foretells. And this is the one w that we just read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 11 and 12. You know, that they're going to believe a lie. God is going to send the strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth. Uh, but instead, they took pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, it's pleasureful for somebody to go and watch the Da Vinci Code and say, yeah, I love this unrighteousness because you know what? All these lies that we were told in the Bible, they're all lies. And now I can just do what I want to do. And I can, and it's all about me, 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 I, I, I. Just like Satan when he fell. I shall be like God. I will ascend on the sides of the north. And it's very appealing to our flesh because... The carnal side of us doesn't want to have to answer to a holy God. So it appeals to that, that, that side of our fleshly nature, okay? And that's why things like the Da Vinci Code are appealing, or the zeitgeist, you know? Oh yeah, it's all a bunch of garbage, you know? All this, every religion, just lump them all into the same thing, you know? It's so easy to do. Just lump the Bible-believing Christians in with the Catholics, and it's so convenient, and it's so easy, and therefore, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. This type of attitude that they, that they take. And, or, or, or and what they did in the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That type of attitude that, that people want to have. So, people who wholeheartedly subscribe to this lie, <clears throat> straight out of hell, are taking a giant step towards eternal damnation. Which is the whole reason the devil is pushing, just let's say, for, in this case, the Da Vinci Code. This is the whole reason he's pushing it. His goal is to try to get as many people into the lake of fire as possible. Ultimately, I mean, ultimately, you know, what can you say his motivation is? Money? Power? Well, those things are temporal, but he knows where his home is, ultimately. So he wants to take people there. If the Holy Spirit couples 
his misleading influence and strong delusion onto a person's affirmation of the lie of the Da Vinci Code, that person is lost according to the prophetic scripture. Now that's what they said. Um, I'm, I'm more to believing that God is permitting this to be happening. I don't want to associate something evil with, some, with an attribute of God. In other words, where the Bible says God shall, shall send the strong delusion. I just am very cautious about labeling anything that God is doing as evil. He uses, I believe, evil spirits and demons and devils and fallen angels as pawns, in other words. That's how I like to phrase that, because I just don't want to do anything that, that, that may border on blasphemy type of thing. You know, I just want to really be careful with that in the way we, we would word that. So that was the way they put it. I would choose to word that a little bit differently. Um, so the Da Vinci Code will, will then, it says, the Da Vinci Code will rock this world. Another thing. Indeed, its spiritual message will rock the world because this spiritual lie is required before the Antichrist can arise and rock the world. One of the reasons his appearance uh, will do this is because people have been preconditioned to believe this genealogical lie of the Merovingian bloodline. And again, you can't really say this is some fringe little topic. Now, if we go back 15 years ago, and I do a teaching on this, people are saying, oh, come on, there's some little book that's been written, Holy Blood, Holy Grail. It's some theory. Nobody's, nobody's put out a movie. Nobody's put out a documentary. Nobody's done anything at that point. To, you know, you're, you're straight in at gnats and wanting to swallow a camel. You're wanting to major on minor, minor on majors. But now, in today's day and age, it is a big deal. So, where is Satan devoting a lot of energy and effort to? To discrediting Jesus Christ, questioning his genealogy, questioning the word of God, and he's doing it through a variety of avenues. This is just one, but this is one of the main ones. So again, it is an important thing. Uh, People are also so biblically ignorant, they will believe anything which is presented to them in a very slick film and book. One pastor widely said, the problem with people not believing in the Bible is that now they will believe in anything. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You ever hear that expression? Well, it's true. They don't, they don't have any foundation in the Word of God whatsoever. So they're basically going to believe whatever's told them. And the pastors aren't doing anything to really educate them. I mean, you got Schuler, He's telling people to go to see the Da Vinci Code. You know? I mean, you had focus on the family for a time, telling people to go see, you know, recommending or endorsing Harry Potter. I'm not saying they are now, but they were, you know, it's just crazy what goes on here. Or, for the most part, they just sit silent, do nothing. They don't act as though it, it doesn't exist. You have evil encroaching from every angle. And, you know, most of the pastors are up there just preaching a nice syrupy sermon or whatever they're doing. And I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying for the vast majority, is that is the case. How do I know that? Because I see no action by the church whatsoever to stem the tide of evil, to be salt and light. Salt is an irritant and a preservative to its surroundings. Um, light always exposes darkness. I just really don't see a lot of that effort going on in the churches. And hey, if they did a lot of that, they'd, they'd lose their 501c3 status and people couldn't write off their tithes on their uh, on their taxes every year. And hey, I mean, that would be not a good thing, right? I mean, you know, the Bible does say let not your right hand know what your left hand's doing, you know. Oh, well, you know. Oh, what? We do it to be seen among men and, and we do it so we can write it off on our taxes and we get preferential treatment in the church. Now, I'm not saying that's everybody's motivation, but it is for a lot. And, you know, the, the, the uh, churches get to keep their 501c3 status, but they better not, you know, they better be 
careful because you don't really don't want to speak out against the gays anymore. You might get labeled a hate crime. You might lose your 501c3 status, and that's going to get worse. And you sure don't want to say nothing about the election because you're really forbidden from doing that in your 501c3 corporate charter status that you agree to with the government, the IRS, which actually gave you permission to exist. And again, if you want to know more about that, just key in the numbers 501 in the search box on my homepage, and we'll we'll load your boat there. So. Um, Anyway, I like to tie a lot of things together because every teaching that we do on a weekly basis hopefully is cross-confirmatory with everything else that I've been talking about up on Sermon Audio for the last year and a half around there in that time frame. And um, so that's the way it should be. I mean, this shouldn't be contradicting other stuff that I did in the past, you know. Um, now, I'm not saying I never mess up or slip up or whatever, or everything that ever comes out of my mouth is you know, spot on perfect or whatever. And I have went and edited out certain comments that I might have said, bonehead things. I put my foot in my mouth about something. Um, nobody's perfect. Nobody has, a, has attained at this point. Um, but anyway, if we go further, so then, then another quote that he had said, that this pastor said, the problem with people not believing in the Bible is that now they will believe in anything. And we are at that point now. And there's another way it's also put. If you don't stand up for the word of God, we'll fall into the deception of Antichrist. Really, it's clinging to the word of God, which is what really counts here. Okay, so if you don't make a stand on the word of God now, you're going to fall for whatever the Antichrist sets in front of you ultimately. If you haven't built your house on the solid rock of Christ Jesus that when the winds and the waves and all the things start to buffet your house, it's going to get blown off because your foundation was on sand. You're going to be destroyed for lack of knowledge. And um, why I'm here, as a watchman, as a teacher, to put this information out there so that hopefully that does not happen. I want to turn many to righteousness. That should be a goal for all of us. Um, and and uh, it's just something that we need to strive to, to be, to... to Love people enough to tell them the truth. And if they if they become your enemy, the Bible says in Galatians 4.16, and this is very common, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So much of the time, if, if I get a reply to these types of things, it's a reply of opinion. All I get is their heartfelt opinion. Nothing to back up what they're saying. Just a lot of opinions. Now, I'm not saying everybody, but, but the majority. You know, they get all worked up, and, and they're, they're governed by their hearts, so that's how they respond. And that's not the way we want to be. So, the last thing they talk about here is the angels, that, where they said, the angels told me this is only the start of the Great Awakening. There will be more books and more movies. And again, this is just one aspect of the deception. I mean, we've talked about a lot of different aspects of the deception. We've got a lot of stuff going on in Hollywood. Now we've got the new movie with Keanu Reeves coming out, The Day the Earth Stood Still, like the remake of the original. This alien race coming here and these types of things. We've got the whole UFO agenda. Uh, we've got all these ascended masters that are channeling through these mediums. We've got Obama now, who's lo being looked at as this messianic type figure. We've got all these religions expecting their respective Messiah or Savior or whatever to show up on the scene at any moment. There's so many facets to this. That's why I can't cover... I wish I would have started all this about... Really, I would have liked to have done it about two years earlier. Uh, I would have probably had about 500 teachings up on Sermon Audio because there's so many more 
that I really need to do. I just, I think I'm really running out of time. I just can't see Obama getting in office where they've already, I just put out an article this week on how the uh, Australia is taking away the internet freedom. Okay, and we're not that far behind Australia and America. Okay, yeah, they've taken away guns too, and they they're a little bit ahead of us on certain things. Um, but I don't really know how much time we've got left in America, and even on the internet, because the internet is really the last free frontier for this stuff. And um, I just pray that that um, we we you know, and it's something we should be praying about that that the Lord would possibly, if it be His will. Because remember, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But if it be his will, that he would give us some more time to get to, to get the truth out there, and that he would hide us from the secret counsel of the wicked, and from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Now that is the start of Psalm 64, and I had mentioned that earlier. But, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with praying these types of prayers that God would hide us and shield us, you know, Psalm 91, these types of things. Now, granted, it's, you don't want to just every single prayer be praying some um, uh, psalm or whatever, okay, because God doesn't like vain repetition either. Okay, so let's have a balance here. But um, those are in there for a reason. These, and it's the Word of God. And the Bible says the Word of God will not return void. That's why it's very important to memorize Scripture. So if we go further... Um, the angels are telling this witch medium that this is the start of this great awakening. More books, more movies. Uh, the movie is the start of this great awakening. Spiritual awakening, though. The rise of the Antichrist is most definitely a spiritual movement in the hearts and souls of people of the world. Movies like The Da Vinci Code are preconditioning people to accept the claims of the coming Antichrist. We are already witnessing a number of very occult book of occult movies on the horizon. Um... One of them was called The Omen. Well, The Omen's already been out. Maybe they're ma- remaking it. I don't know. Whose trailer openly mentions the Antichrist. Now, if all of these movies and all these things are totally discrediting the Bible right up from the get-go, then when the Antichrist makes his appearance, all he's really going to have to do is confirm what we've already been preconditioned to accept. He's going to say, yeah, and then if he comes with all lying signs and wonders, and let's say a fleet of UFOs or however he's going to do it, Man, people are going to just fall for this hook, line, and sinker. They're going to say, where's your God? Why isn't he doing big signs and wonders and all this other stuff? Oh, you know, my God created the universe. You know, what, what is that? He puts breath in your lungs and, and, you know, life in your body and makes the universe go round and makes the sun burn and the earth twirl. That's all my God does. You know, if you think about me, I'm being tongue-in-cheek here, but... They act as though these lying signs and wonders are proof that, that, you know, they're serving the right person. That's why you don't go by miracles. Jesus Christ said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but no sign shall be given unto it, but under the sign of Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, so that was the, that was the only sign given, what Jesus Christ did, that he rose from the dead. Okay, but... Jesus Christ said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Signs are not things we should be seeking. We have everything we need with the word of God. Okay? And if that's not good enough for you, you're in tremendous trouble because then you are going to be seeking after a sign or a wonder, this or that. You know? So anyway, if we go back now to the original article 
regarding Obama. I wanted to segue off into the Merovingian thing. We're actually going to come back to the Merovingian thing later because it really we haven't fully touched upon that. Um, this goes on by saying, I do grant you that Senator Obama has a bloodline which dates back to the British monarch, King Edward. Therefore, he could plug into the Merovingian bloodline deception. This is true, okay? But, um, let me just read the next verse and then I'll say this. Because once the Antichrist convinces people that his lineage dates back to Jesus through the Merovingian kings, then he is home free to King David. But I really believe the Jews will want a much clearer lineage than Obama is ever going to be able to produce. Okay, um, The Jews, theoretically, came from the Shemite race. Okay, Japheth, Shem, Ham, the three sons of Noah. Okay, Barack Obama, being half African American, has the Hamite race and the Shemite race. That is not going to uh, be enough, biblically speaking, even if he can trace back to King David through the Merovingian bloodline, which is a very sketchy thing at best, okay? Um, even if he were able to do that, I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be clean. He's going to have to have a clear lineage that Obama's ever going to be able to present. That's my theory. And again, I, I think there's other reasons you can look at with Obama. We're going to look at that next, where he is disqualified from being the Antichrist. The next reason is the Antichrist must come from the revived Roman Empire. Uh, Daniel 9.26. And again, we're going to be looking a lot more at this verse a little bit later. Okay, probably next week. So, um, Daniel 9.26. Uh, let's go to that right now. Okay, now again, I'm going to be doing more of a detailed study on this next week. Okay, but it says in Daniel 9.26, After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and under the end of war desolations are determined. Now again, I, I don't want to go down this rabbit trail too far right, this, right at this point, but it says, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. The prince that shall come in reference here is most likely the Antichrist. The people of that prince shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, what happened in 70 AD in Jerusalem? They destroyed the city and the sanctuary. They destroyed Jerusalem. Who did that? The Roman Empire. Okay? So this is one of the reasons that, they'll, that they say that the Antichrist must come out of the revived Roman Empire. Because it says here that the people of the prince, the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. I mean, in Jerusalem, this happened in 70 AD. Okay, now, that ties him in with the Roman Empire. Okay, and there's other reasons you can look at as well. Okay, but again, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. Oh, actually, yes, we are. We're going to go down that rabbit trail next. So just bear with me, okay? Most Bible scholars have been united in their opinion that the other prince is in reference to the ruling prince of the kingdom, which puts the true Messiah to death, in the first part of Daniel 9.26. Now remember, it said, After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Capital M in the King James, shall Messiah be cut off. This is Christ. This is in reference to when he was actually crucified. Okay? And then it says, But not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. What happened after Christ was crucified? Okay? Well, the people of the prince that shall come did destroy Jerusalem and the city and the temple in 70 A.D., the Roman Empire. Okay, so again, we're going to look at that next. Um, so, 
this, and let me just read this again, most Bible scholars have been united in their opinion that the other prince that is in reference to in this verse is the ruling prince of the kingdom which put the true Messiah to death in the first part of Daniel 9.26. That kingdom, of course, is the old Roman Empire. Thus, Antichrist is foretold to be the God is foretold to be the other prince of this passage, thus requiring the old Roman Empire to be revived at the end of the age. And of course, right on, and again, this is what we see with the visions of Daniel as well, and I think we're going to be looking at that next. Yes, we're going to be looking at that next to give you a little bit of scripture confirmation here. Okay, because this can get a little dicey, this subject. It's really um, rightly dividing the word of truth here. So, and of course, right on schedule, Western Europe arose from the ashes of history, comprised almost exactly of the same territory as the original Roman Empire possessed. And now let's go, if we go to Daniel 2.32. Daniel 2.32 here. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and read these passages first. Daniel 2.32 through Daniel 2.47. We're going to read these, and then we're going to be stopping a little bit along the way as I read them comments and commentaries and then I'm going to give more of a uh, of a of a more of a commentary at the very end regarding these passages so we have a little bit more background now this is the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream given to Nebuchadnezzar by Daniel okay so Daniel 232 starts out by saying his image was of fine gold his breast and his arms of silver his belly and his thighs of brass his legs of iron his feet of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them in pieces. So remember, the the actual stone uh, that's in reference here, stone that was cut without hands, which is in reference to Jesus Christ, essentially coming back in Armageddon, which smote the image upon the feet, that were of iron and clay, these are the ten toes of iron and clay, the ten kingdoms that we're heading into right now. The world's already been divided up into basically ten different regions. North American Union is just one of the ten regions. We've already got the European Union, that's one region. Okay, So these are the ten toes that we're in reference to here, and that is why the stone that was cut without hands is going to break the iron and the clay and break them into pieces because that's the last kingdom and that's when Jesus Christ is actually coming back at the end of Armageddon. So I just wanted to give you a little background there. Then we go to the next verse, Daniel 2.35. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken in pieces together. So then the whole thing comes down when, when um, Jesus Christ, essentially the stone that was cut without hands, breaks the feet. The whole image comes down. All these worldly Gentile kingdoms. okay, And became like chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away, and no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain. The stone. The stone the builders rejected. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is in reference to the millennial reign of Christ. The thousand year millennial reign of Christ. This is the dream that we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art of great kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a power, and a power, and a strength, and a glory. The Lord gave him that power, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, but he also humbled him. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art the head of gold. Okay, now we're going to, I'm going to give more of a commentary on this in a second. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. 
and another third kingdom of brass. So we have the gold, the silver. Notice how the metals are starting to degrade okay, over time. Uh, so that's why he says another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. This is in reference to the Roman, uh, the Romans. For inasmuch as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh in thee shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with the clay. And as of the toes of the feet were part iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou saw iron mixed with miry clay. So one of the interpretations he's saying of the iron mixed with clay is that the kingdom is going to be partly strong and partly broken. Remember, it's still going to be iron in reference to the, to the Roman Empire. Okay, uh, but it's now it's mingled with clay. So that was one interpretation: the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. But here's another one. He says, "And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with iron miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. You can't mix iron and clay together; they're not compatible. It's not like two metals that are compatible. Clay is not a metal. Clay is something totally different than iron. Okay, so this word, this the second interpretation here is pretty pretty interesting. When it says they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another. Now hold on. It says that. It is implying here that they is something different than the seed of men. Because they're going to try to mingle themselves with the seed of men, but it says they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. They. What is, and I've done a whole study on this. I broke this down a lot more in one of the other studies. I think it was one I did on the Nephilim. And again, if you want to access that, just key in the Nephilim, N-E-P-H, I think. Just verse 4, you'll find it. They seems to imply some other different race from the seed of men. Because why would they be given so separate and so so distinct if they were not? I mean, if they were the seed of men, why wouldn't it just say that? Why wouldn't it say, well, this one race of seed of men and another race, they tried to commingle, but they couldn't. Well, that really wouldn't make any sense because the human race, whether you're black, white, or green, or whatever you are, you can commingle, Okay. Um, but if you're of a different race or of a different species, that's not going to happen okay, too well. What is another time in the Bible where we saw this happened? Where there was a whole chapter essentially almost devoted to it, Genesis 6, where the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they came, and they called them, and they chose. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and these were the men of old, the men of renown, these types of things. And after the giants went, or after the fallen angels went into the daughters of men, they bear them children. Okay, I believe this is in reference to this very same thing. Now, where, where do we see any cross-confirmation of this? Well, Jesus Christ said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, yes, they were marrying and giving in marriage and, and these types of things. But what was the main thing going on in Noah's day? If you could take a news crew back there. Genesis 6. What was the absolute main story you would bring back? Would it be that they were marrying and giving in marriage and they were acting as though nothing until the flood came? Well, of course they were doing that. But what was the main thing that was going on? 
Well, the main thing that was going on is the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, took them wise. There were giants in the earth in those days, and they had corrupted the seed of mankind to the extent where there was most likely only eight people on the planet that may have not been corrupted. I mean, I can't be dogmatic. I'm, I wasn't there. We'll know when we get up to heaven, I think. But pretty much everything had been corrupted. And the reason that they were trying to corrupt the seed is they knew that the Messiah was going to come through the human race that was predicted back in Genesis. And I've, I've went over that verse before where, where God pronounces the judgment on Eve. And, and I, I guess I'll just... I might as well just go over that because I don't want to confuse anybody here. So, again, here's the reason, okay? When Adam, when when God pronounces the judgment on Eve and the serpent, okay, for what they did, okay, because she took of the garden, uh, she took of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, she shouldn't have done that, Satan tempted her, so here here's now um, his judgment. Genesis 3, uh, verse 14, And God, the Lord God said unto the serpent, Thus thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Okay, this is the curse he put on the serpent. And then he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Enmity is war. And between thy seed, seed of the serpent? Yeah. And her seed. Well, whoa, whoa. That sounds like they were two separate, distinct seeds. Just like... We just read in Daniel, where it says, They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave. It sounds like two single, or, or two distinct seeds that we're in reference to here. Okay? Just like it did in Genesis 3, verse 15. Okay? Kind of a coincidence there. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. So who's, who's thy seed? Essentially Satan's seed. Now, do you, well, you could say, yeah, he doesn't have a seed. Okay, well, then how in the world did Genesis 6 happen? If he doesn't have a seed, if the fallen angels, when they came down, they procreated with women, if they didn't have a seed, how do they make babies? Where are the giants? Where do the giants come from? Now, granted, they left their first estate. They shouldn't have done that. I mean, and again, they're, I believe they're in a special compartment of hell. The Bible makes reference to in Jude called Tartarus, which was, I mean, the root word, Greek root word, means a, a, a separate compartment of hell where these angels are kept in everlasting change to the day of judgment. Okay, so they shouldn't have done this, but they did, and they were allowed to do it. They're given, um, uh, they're given this free will just like we are. Okay, this is an interesting point. A pastor had brought up, I have a marginal note here, um, where it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, okay? A female, theoretically, doesn't have a seed. She has an egg. The, the male is, when you see in reference to the seed, it's to the male. But this was the seed, the, the seed that's in reference to her seed is the seed that was placed there via the Holy Spirit, via God the Father. This is, this is how Jesus Christ was created via the Holy Spirit, uh, through God the Father, okay? So, this seed that's in reference to in verse 15 is most likely in reference to when it says her seed, since a woman doesn't have seed, this was the seed that was placed there. This was through the Lord, um, this was through Mary, okay? And then the Lord Jesus Christ came of that, okay? And so, that's just an interesting point there. And then, the Messianic prophecy, it shall bruise thy head, uh, the seed that's in reference to regarding the woman, which I believe is Jesus Christ, and thou shall bruise his heel. Okay? So, 
ultimately Genesis 6 most likely happened was because Satan was wanting to corrupt the bloodlines. Yes, the, the fallen angels wanted to come down and procreate women, and yes, they, 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 uh, they, their fleshly lusts or whatever got the best of them. Okay, But Satan's agenda, ultimately, is to corrupt the seed line because he does not want this prophecy to be fulfilled. If he could kill all the human beings, how is her seed going to bruise his head? can't happen if all the human beings are corrupted or if their seeds have been corrupted. So I think it's just an interesting point there. Again, you know, it's, it's, um, can't totally be 100% dogmatic. Some of this is, 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 is somewhat nebulous, okay? But it does seem to add up with other parts of the Bible if we compare scripture, scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept. So, Daniel 2.43, whereas thou saw the iron mixed with the miry clay, they, shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. So mingle, but they shall not cleave one to another. Now that word cleave in, this, in the 1828 Noel Webster means essentially to aptly fit. Meaning, in this sense, it means to fit. It's like a good fit. Okay, now, in Genesis 6, they did mingle themselves with the seed of men, um, and it, it appeared as though there was a good fit there. Here it's saying they shall not cleave one to another. Now, again, how that plays out, I can't be 100% for sure. All the stuff about alien abductions and all these people, I mean, there's 2 to 3% of the population that say that they've been abducted at, at some point in time. Most of them are heavily involved or, it, or have generational baggage where they're involved in the occult. Okay, It's been a proven fact that if, if a person who really believes in the Lord Jesus Christ cries out to Jesus Christ during an abduction experience, that abduction stops. Okay, there's a whole ministry devoted to that called CE4 Research with Joe Jordan. Check into that, do a keyword search online, see the letter CE4 Research, and I'm telling you, they have documented case after case after case where these abductions start to happen, born again believer cries out to Jesus, and he believes it. I mean, you just can't have a new ager crying out to the new age Christ. But they believe it, and the power of the name of Jesus Christ is incredibly powerful, okay? I've seen it happen with me. I've given my testimony on when I had a, a, a demonic or fallen, I think it was fallen angelic experience where this thing was trying to take me out. And I cried out to Jesus and the thing, this whole thing stopped. It only happened to me once in my life. But I'm telling you, it works. It works. And if you believe, it works every time. So again... The times that we're moving into. We have to understand the power that we hold just by saying the name Jesus Christ. When you cry out to him, you're crying out to him for help. You're crying out to him in faith. You're not crying out to him in unbelief. Okay, You're not crying out because you're going through the motions. You're crying out because you really believe that he's the only thing that can save you or help you. Okay, and I don't mean salvation. I mean save you from a given situation where impending doom may be on the doorstep here. Okay? And I believe that the time, day and times we're going into, we're really going to have to get a realization. I had a lady email me the other day. She said, you really need to talk about that a little bit more. And she's right, because I haven't emphasized it enough. The power that we have, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. you got to believe this. Why? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you're reading a perverted Bible, or if you're not reading any Bible at all, how are you going to build faith? Okay, I recommend having 
the Bible playing in your house, someplace in your house, all the time, 24-7, even if it's at a low level, the demons still can hear it, okay? And they don't like it, okay? Remember, my word will not return void. So these are just things that, you know, we can do, and um, I think it's very, very important. So, again, just a very interesting verse that we're looking at here. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about this whole thing, about this Nephilim type of race that was, and the word Nephilim is from the fallen ones, it's the root word where we get from giants, Genesis 6, okay, what we were just talking about. So, we go further, and in the days of these kings shall God set up, God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left one to another, shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. Okay, remember, Jesus. this is Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's coming back at Armageddon on a white horse. King of kings, Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. Okay, so an army of his saints, this type of thing. I mean, this is going to be amazing. But um, this, this is in reference to this stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. This is really in reference to the whole destruction of all the Gentile nations. Jesus is going to come back and establish his kingdom from Jerusalem, thousand-year millennial reign, where he will rule with a rod of iron. Okay, um, The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. And the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is the God of gods. Now this is cool because you got the, the strongest, most powerful guy, that one of the most powerful men that's ever existed ever. Okay, I mean this guy, I mean when it's set up to here, it said, uh, Whethersoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, hath he given in thine hand, and he hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art the head of gold. There ain't too many people ever got higher than Nebuchadnezzar as far as a worldly power goes. Okay, And yes, he had to be humbled. Okay, But I think it's really cool here that he says of a truth, you know, that your God is the God of gods. And it's it's chap, capital G, God of little lowercase g. Okay, gods. So these other these other um, things that say that they're gods really, you know, they're they're most likely fallen angelic angels that appear as these deities, but this is the true God of heaven that we're dealing with here. And then it says, a Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets. So that's how that ends. Now we go a little bit further. Um, now, this is the four beasts then, and we're going to kind of try to tie this into, into things here. Um, the four beasts. So if we go to Daniel 7, 1 through 8. Okay, so we'll just go ahead and read this. And, and um, uh, in the first year about Shazar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. Four great beasts came up from the sea to verse one from another. Uh, this first one, verse four, is in regard to Nebuchadnezzar we just talked about. Uh, the first was like a lion and had the eagle and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, 
and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon feet as a man, and the man's heart was given unto him. And then verse 5, this is more in reference to Medo-Persia. Behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth of it, between the teeth of it, and they said unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And next one, the world empire of Greece under Alexander. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given unto it. And then verse 7, uh, in reference to the Roman Empire, After I saw this in the night visions, and behold, the fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong, and it had a great iron teeth, or iron teeth, okay? Remember it was iron, the the uh, reference to the uh, Roman Empire. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. In verse 8, and then I'm going to come back to these, okay? There there came up another of them, a little horn, for whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in the horn were the eyes, like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. Okay, so, the first of these two visions, chapter 7, when more closely viewed, resolves into, the, into four. And their interpretations we shall treat it singly. The lion... Uh, Verse 4 corresponds to the golden head of Nebuchadnezzar's image and um, is also representative of, of Babylon at the time. The bear, verse 5, corresponds to the to the um, breast of arms and silver and stands for the Medo-Persian Empire. Being raised up on one side means that it was one part of the empire was stronger than the others, which was Persia. The three ribs in its mouth are the three provinces conquered by it not long before. Susanna, Lydia, and Asia Minor. The leopard is the Grecian Empire corresponding to the belly of thighs and brass. The four wings denote the swiftness which it was carried, which carried its victories in every direction, and the four heads its ultimate partition into many parts of the death of its great head, Alexander. Now the dreadful and terrible beast, too dreadful and terrible for a name, corresponds to the legs of iron, which is equivalent to the Roman Empire. Its ten horns, like the ten toes in the other case, speak of ten kingdoms into which it shall be divided into at the end of the age. And this is what we were just talking about, the ten kingdoms, okay? We've already got, they've already done this. They've already established what they want to be the ten kingdoms, and it's all going to be amalgamated into the new world order, into the one world government, okay? So, so, and in other words, the North American Union has to happen in order for the Bible to be fulfilled. Yes, are we should we should we try to fight evil when we can? Yes, but understand that in and of yourselves, your hope is not in of yourselves. It's not in your own actions. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Yes, we're supposed to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness and have no fellowship with them and these types of things. It, that is important, I believe, and we're supposed to try to expose it. But ultimately, it's going to happen. Okay. In order to have the ten toes, it's going to happen one way or another. So, um, and then the little horn who subdues three of the ten kings so completely that they that the identity of their kingdoms is lost is the Antichrist. Okay. So again, that's that fits into this this vision. Uh, these these uh, parables in Daniel that I, I think it's kind of uh, interesting parallels here. Okay, so we're, I'm going to go back and just, um, I, I think they had some good marginal notes here in my Bible in regard to, um, we've talked about Daniel, um, Daniel 7 and Daniel 2, okay, two different visions, but a lot of overlap between the two and how that kind of relates to the Antichrist. 
the going back to Daniel 2, the monarchy vision, Nebuchadnezzar's dream as interpreted by Daniel, gives the course and the end of the times of the Gentiles. Okay? Uh, that is of the Gentile world powers. The four metals composing the image are explained as symbolized four empires not necessarily possessing all the inhabited earth, but most likely if they were they were able to do so. And fulfilled in the Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Medo-Persia, Greece under Alexander, and Roman empires. The later powers seem divided into the first two, the legs, fulfilled in the eastern and western Roman empires, and then ultimately in the ten toes, um, as the whole... Again, we talked about you know the, the, the ten toes there before, and... Um, the ten horns of this, a lot of parallels there. As a whole, the image gives the imposing outward greatness and splendor of the Gentile world power. The smiting stone destroys the Gentile world power. This is Jesus Christ in its final form by a sudden blow, not by a gradual process of conversion and assimilation. And before, the stone becomes a mountain which uh, fulfills the whole, which fills the whole earth that it talked about. Such a destruction of the Gentile monarchy system did not occur at the first advent of Christ. On the contrary, he was put to death by the sentence of an officer of the Fourth Empire, which was at its zenith of power. This is the Roman Empire. Since the crucifixion, the Roman Empire has followed the course marked out for it in the vision. But the Gentile world dominion still does continue, and the crushing blow is at this point still suspended, but it is coming. The detail of the end time is given in Daniel 7, 1-28, Revelation 13-19, and it's important to see that the Gentile world power is to end in a sudden catastrophic judgment, see Armageddon, Revelation 16, 14, 19, 21, and that it is immediately followed you know, by the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, and that God of the heavens does not set up his kingdom till after the destruction of the Gentile world system. It is also noteworthy that the Gentile world domination begins and ends with the great image um, in Daniel 2, 31, and Revelation 13, 14, and 15. And then, from the head of gold to the iron of the fourth kingdom, which is Rome, there is a deterioration of the metal, of the fineness, but an increase in actual strength. Okay? Then comes the deterioration of the fourth kingdom in that very quality, which is strength. Meaning, the, the, the deterioration is when we have the iron mixed with the miry clay. Okay? Iron, in and of itself, is stronger than gold. Okay? But now we even get the iron deteriorating. Just interesting things. So, deterioration by division, the kingdom is divided into two legs, the eastern and the western empires. These are again divided into kingdoms, the number of which, when the stone smites the image, will be ten toes. Deterioration by the admixture, the iron of the Roman uh, mixed with the clay of the popular, clay of the popular will be fickle and easily molded. Okay. So, anyway, I just kind of wanted to read that just to give a little more uh, con confirmatory Confirmation. So, if we go back to Daniel 9, 26 and 27, which is what we had started, where it says, And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, refers to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Romans under Titus in 70 AD. They, the Romans, are the people of the prince that shall come. But this prince himself is identical not with the Messiah, but with the little horn of Daniel 7 that we just talked about. This is the prince that's going to come. The terrible despot who will be at the head of the restored empire at the end of this age. The end period now 
will come to the last of the 77s, or the closing seven years of this age. In other words, there is a long ellipsis between the close of the 69th week and the beginning of the 70th week. Indeed, the whole of the Christian age, um, so going further, and he said, And he, the prince that shall come, shall confirm the covenant with many for a week. The many refers to the people of Israel then to be in their own land, but still in an unconverted state as far as the acceptance of Jesus Christ, their Messiah, is concerned. Now again, we talked a lot about that last week. How they're gonna, how the one-third remnant is finally gonna come to, to look upon whom they've pierced and mourn him as for their own, like they lost their own son. They're gonna under, they're gonna finally have their eyes opened. Okay? So, um, again, I talked a lot about that last week. It will be, to the mutual interest of the little horn, or the Antichrist, and Israel to enter into this covenant for seven years. There will be a faithful remnant, however, who will not bow the knee to him. The covenant will be made with many, but not all. So if we compare, um, go to Isaiah twenty-eight fifteen, And again, I, I think this is such a, a neat study to look at this, to see how all of these scriptures do tie together. Isaiah 28:15 Wherefore hear the word of the Lord ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem because ye have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell are we in agreement when the overflowing scourge shall pass through it shall not come unto us for we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood have we hid ourselves now, this very well could be in reference to the covenant that they will enter into with the Antichrist. We know it's the Jews. It's in Jerusalem. Okay. Then it says, verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And again, Jesus Christ is coming back. Remember, he's the stone that's going to smite the ten toes and all the Gentile world things. Here we have another reference to a stone again. So I think that's that's kind of um, kind of interesting. Now, if we go to, I'm going to give you a couple more parallels here. And again, if, even if we go to verse 17, judgment also will I lay to the line of righteousness to the plummet, and the hail shall sweep through with the refuge of lies, and waters shall overflow the hiding place. Okay. So again, this is um, some interesting things. If we go to Daniel 9:6, uh, where it says in Daniel 9:26. Uh, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war are determined. And then it, we go back to this, where it says in verse 15 of Isaiah, chapter 28, it says, Because we have said we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we in agreement. I mean, if you make a covenant with the Antichrist, that's a covenant of death. And you're making a covenant with hell. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, and we have made lies our refuge, and on our falsehood have we hid ourselves. So again, it's talking about overflowing here. And then it says that in verse 17, And hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters shall overflow the hiding place. And it's if we go back to Daniel um, 9.26, and it says, And the people of the prince, okay, remember, this is the Antichrist, that shall come, shall destroy the city, that happened in 70 AD under Titus, in the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. Huh, that's kind of funny, because it makes reference to the refuge of lies and the water shall overflow the hiding place, and it's in reference to Jerusalem. Huh, just interesting parallels there, you know, kind of interesting. Now if we go to Daniel 2.34, Daniel 2.34, 
And again, here we go. Thou sawest till the stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon the feet that were of iron, clay, and break them into pieces. Okay, in reference to Jesus Christ coming back. And here we go again. We go back to Isaiah 28.16, and it says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. So again, we have reference to the stone again. And the stone is in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. I just think that's really neat. <laughs> so anyway, uh, going further, it says, He will break this covenant after three and one half years, start of the tribulation, seven-year tribulation, the 70th week, okay? And it says, And cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. He's going to cause the sacrifices and the oblations in the temple to cease, okay? The midpoint of the three and a half years, where he commits the abomination of desolation, essentially proclaims himself to be God, and then starts the great tribulation, Okay? So, and then what this will do is they will no longer be permitted to probably worship in the newly erected temple. Now begins the Great Tribulation, a time and times and the division of time named in uh, the chapter 825. So if we compare this to Revelation 13.5 and 11.17. So again, if we go down that rabbit trail, we're going to be here all day. But anyway, there's a lot of, of really neat comparisons here that we can look at that uh, really do confirm scripture. So let's go ahead and let's just try to finish this up here. So does Barack Obama come from the Western Europe? No. He was born in Kenya. This whole birth certificate thing that I have been putting out in uh, on the internet is, is becoming more and more and more and more well proven, but he is determined and the court systems are determined to protect him because they're essentially Illuminati controlled that nothing's going to come of it, most likely. Uh, we can jump up and down all we want, and um, they're not go he's not going to produce this birth certificate. Um, his grandmother has, has openly bragged about being in the delivery room when he was born in Kenya. I mean, there's, there's eyewitnesses. There's, uh, there is a birth certificate. There is a lot of different things that have happened here that he will not answer to, and he is essentially above the law. So, he's not born in Western Europe, <clears throat> And um, ancient Rome, pro-Great Britain, but never stepped foot on North America. No, Obama does not come from any country which was originally part of the old Roman Empire. Okay, so, again, that was one of the reasons that they were given. Now, another, another reason he can't be the Antichrist. Daniel 11, 37. Regarding the Antichrist, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Okay, Antichrist will not desire women. Biblical scholars have long held that this prophecy means that the coming man of perdition will not be married and will be gay. Well, that would be totally something I would expect. I mean, when you see these, these gay people going crazy now, they're breaking into churches during church services. This is being documented. They're in that Castro district in San Francisco. They just assaulted all those um, uh, Christians that were out there in that park. And you can see this Sodom and Gomorrah spirit rising up in the gay community. These people are demon-possessed to the toenails, and they are going to show their true colors when they don't get their way, and when we don't accept them on their terms, and when they're not allowed to shove down their religion, because they have their own religion, whether they want to believe in it or not. And their religion is, I can do whatever I want to do, I can be as demon-possessed as I want to be, and I can be a sodomite, and, I'm, and don't judge me, because, you know, for whatever reason they hold to that. Okay, that is really um, 
starting to rear its ugly head here. I'm getting more and more emails about this. But Barack Obama is married with two children. Now, there is much in his past to indicate that he is gay or at bare minimum bisexual. Okay, But the fact remains, he's married and he's got two kids. So that by itself would, would disqualify him because even if he didn't have any desire for women, it sure looks like he does. Okay, so he's not going to desire women. He's not going to regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Okay, so again, the Antichrist will not regard any God, but he will worship the God of forces, according to Daniel 11.38, where we read, but in his estate shall he, the Antichrist, honor the God of forces. Now this is, I believe, more in reference to the God of forces. This is more in reference to witchcraft, and how witchcraft is essentially going to become the essence of the one world religion. The God of forces, you know. And the God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor. Okay? Which God does Senator Obama honor? Okay, well, he professed to be a Christian. He said that he prays to Jesus daily. This means that with his lips he may honor Jesus Christ. But if he truly was the Antichrist, he would not go that far. I mean, that devil betrayer guy, for instance says that he essentially overshadowed Jesus Christ during his three and a half years on this earth where he did all of his miracles. On. And, and the only reason Jesus Christ was able to perform those miracles is because Lord Betrayed gave him the power to do it. He overshadowed him. Okay, that's well documented. So again, he's not honoring Jesus Christ, Lord Betrayed. He's basically saying, I am the power of Jesus Christ. Whereas Obama, at least with his lips, of course his heart is far from him, he has supposedly honored Jesus Christ, even though this is a total lie. The senator also committed a slip of the tongue when he made reference to my Muslim faith. Saw it on an interview. He said it himself. The guy had to correct him, the interviewer. Thus, it's evident that he honors Allah, the God of Islam. As the famous Islamic saying goes, Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. Therefore, just from that standpoint alone, you know, he's not going to be the Antichrist, okay, so, and then if we go further, this is an article that was in Forbes, and I read this a little bit before when we did, but I just want to touch on this again, Obama in the Ahmadinejad, is Barack Obama the promised warrior coming to help the hidden imam, this is the imam Mahdi of the Shiite Muslims to conquer the world, and this is interesting, question has been made the rounds in Iran since last month when a pro-government website published a hadith or a tradition from a Shiite text of the 17th century. The tradition comes from Bahar al-Anvar, meaning the Oceans of the Light, by Mullah Maljalsini, a magnus opum, a magnus opus, of 132 volumes in the basis of the modern Shiite Islam. According to the tradition, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, boy, these guys got long names, the prophet's cousin and son-in-law prophesied that at the end of the times and just before the return of Imam Mahdi, who they're waiting for right now, I mean, they're, they're, they're expecting him, who they view as the ultimate savior in Islam, just before that happens, a tall black man will assume the reins of the government in the West, hmm. commanding the strongest army on earth. The new ruler in the West will carry a clear sign from the third Imam whose name was Hussein ibn Ali. The tradition concludes Shiites should have no doubt that he is with us. They're viewing Obama as this man that was prophesied. Now, he's not the Imam. He's not the Imam Mahdi. But he is the prophesied um, tall black man that will assume the reins of, of the Western government and he will help the hidden Imam of the Shiite Muslims conquer the world. That's what their, their prophecy says.
In a curious coincidence, Obama's first and second names, Barack Hussein, mean the blessing of Hussein. In Arabic and in Persian, his family name, Obama, written in the Persian alphabet, reads Obama, which means he is with us. Magic formula for the Majazi tradition that we just read. So, and again, a little interesting point there. Here's another point. Antichrist must carry the title Prince. Let us return back to Daniel 9.26 as we quoted above. Uh, the people of the other prince who will come, remember, the other prince, Antichrist must carry the title prince prior to the horizon of the world scene. Only the monarchies of Great Britain and Europe of the revived Roman Empire carry these types of titles, though. Prince, king, queen. This takes us back to the revived Roman Empire. Uh, that is an interesting parallel. Since Barack Obama does not carry the title prince, he is disqualified from being Antichrist. And then here's another reason. For these reasons, Senator Barack Obama cannot be the biblical antichrist. Um, however, oh, actually, that was the, the end of them. Um, there are more points. I, I really believe we could dig up on this, but I just don't want to devote too much time. We've we've we spent so much time on Obama. Um, th this is going to turn more into a study on the antichrist himself at this point. Um, but really, it's been that all along. So remember what the Bible says in First John two eighteen: Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now are there are many Antichrists. Okay, he is one of, he is a Antichrist, small a, small a, but he is not the Antichrist, capital A. Okay, when Obama sends to the Oval Office, he will be president at the very time the North American Union is finalized. Okay, one of the ten kingdoms, one of the ten toes. Okay, one of the ten horns. By the lofty nature of his office, a President Obama may be the de facto head or ruler of NAFTA. He may be. I mean, everybody loves him already. I mean, my word. Um, they should have a, 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 a one of those um, sitcoms for him. Everybody loves Obama. Like they got that show, Everybody Loves Raymond. Well, they have Everybody Loves Obama. He can have his own little little uh, show there. Sorry, lost control there. Anyway, so President um, may be the de facto head or ruler of NAFTA. Thus, the ten-nation reorganization foretold in prophecy and planned by the Illuminati will have come into reality. This means that he will be part of the welcoming committee when the Antichrist does arise. See, can you imagine? You've got Obama. You've got Oprah. You've got all of the Hollywood starlets. You've got all these rulers and all these other nations pointing to the Antichrist. All of these people have their own followings. And if you are hook, line, and sinker head over heels for your particular for your particular idol, whether it be Obama or Oprah or whatever flavor you like, then you're going to believe whatever they tell you, because of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. If you're already overcome by Oprah, then you're going to believe whatever bondage she wants to impose upon you. Oh, conversations with God is good, and this and that, and, and the secret, and, and pursue this and that. Well. She's pointing toward Obama. He's going to be pointing toward the Antichrist, and so is she. So, um, listen to the prophecy of Daniel 7, 7 and 8, when Daniel sees the four Gentile kingdoms that gave way to the reorganization of the ten heads. Now, we just did already kind of read this, where with Daniel 7, um, I'll just go ahead and touch on it again real quick here. Daniel 7, 7 and 8. In here. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, strong exceedingly, had great terrible iron teeth, that devoured and break in pieces, stamped the residue with the feet thereof, and it was divisive from all the beasts that were before it, and had ten horns, and the ten horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, 
before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and the mouth straight things. This is in regard to the Antichrist. Okay, in other words, God is prophesying here that the entire world will be reorganized into ten supernations. We also have that, that confirmation in the, uh, in the ten toes. Okay, now we have the confirmation because they've already, they're already planning on doing this. Okay, the ten super region nations. Okay, so the world will be organized into ten super nations, each one with a ruler. Interestingly, Illuminati planned for a global reorganization into precisely ten super nations. As we reveal in news report 1002. Above, uh, NAFTA is the number one nation and is the Illuminati's 10 nation in the Illuminati's 10 nation reorganization. Okay. NAFTA, North American Union. Okay. Canada, um, America, and Mexico being one region. Okay. Therefore, a President Obama will most likely be one of the ten rulers of this Illuminati kingdom. He probably is going to be, because most likely we are going to see the North American Union under his watch. Okay? Much to the chagrin of Bush, because I'm sure he would have liked to stay in there forever as a dictator. Who knows? He may try to, he may try to, if they let him, okay, because he's a puppet on a string, if they let him nuke Iran, we get World War III going, then all games are off, pretty much. I mean, unless they find a way to get Obama in there. You know, who knows? I can't be dogmatic about that, but... And then that means that, that Obama is an, is an antichrist, sharing the same characteristics of the biblical antichrist, but he's not the, okay? The little horn which came up from among the ten horns is most definitely the antichrist. The wording of this passage clearly indicates that the antichrist is of the same spiritual bent as the ten other kings. This means that President Obama will be of the same occult spiritual inclination as the antichrist, and I guarantee he's going to follow him. Therefore, people will consider Obama a likely candidate to be the biblical Antichrist, but this simply cannot be. What Obama will be is a replica of the biblical Antichrist, but not the man of sin. These events are propelling the world into the final days of the end of the age, and it looks like the 44th American president will be the one on hand to welcome the biblical Antichrist. And as much as they're worshipping this guy right now, I mean, you don't see anything negative about him. On the news reports. It's all praise. I have never seen such praise heaped upon any one particular person in my lifetime as I've seen on this guy. I mean, it's, it's, it's never ending. I mean, the news is so nauseating anymore. It's just, particularly if you get into the world, the, the national news, it's just, you know, one thing after another praising this guy. And so if you've got somebody that popular pointing toward the Antichrist, the, the, the deception is just, beyond comprehension. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out today in a word of prayer, and, and uh, we'll, Lord willing, we'll see you back here next week. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time that you've given us. Praise you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy. We praise you, Lord God, for, for showing us truth, Lord God. Pray, God, that you would forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form, that you would wipe our slate clean, Lord God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us. I pray, God, that you protect my listeners, Lord, the body of Christ, the weak, the meek, the innocent, Lord God, the, the children, the orphans, the widows, your remnant, Lord God. I, I just plead the blood of Jesus over them. I pray, God, your angels would encamp around about them. I pray, Lord God, that you would guide us in all truth, and power and wisdom, and that we would always have the courage to do whatever you've called us to do. 
praise you, Lord. I pray that your name would be glorified through the body of Christ, through these that I have mentioned, that you would keep and stem the tide of wickedness, Lord God, if it be your will for a little longer, that more truth would go forth and that that truth would not be hindered in any way, shape, or form, and that any devil or demon or evil entity or fallen angel, fallen cherub, that would try to hinder this prayer in any way, shape, or form, I pray, God, if it be thy will, they'd be bound up and rebuked and cast into the abyss. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.